ask, I'm gonna ask my niece and, and my nephew, my niece Kim and my nephew Glenn do me a big favor. Can you take my youngest grandkids back to Nashville with y'all? <laughs> and, and send them back like Jade and them? <laughs> take my little heathens. They won't listen to grandpa. I had my, you know, the world, it's, it's funny. Um, my youngest grandchild, uh, youngest girl, grand, oh no, she's no, no longer the youngest girl, but my youngest son's baby, let me put it like that, she's eight. And, um, and she was, uh, I kept asking her, when you gonna come spend the night? When you gonna come spend the night? And she said, I'm not coming to spend the night, I'm not coming to spend the night. She said, why? I, I, no, I asked her why. She said, because we rest on Sundays. And Grandpa, you gonna make us go to church. And, uh, and I was like, wow, that's so demonic. Already, like eight, and she's resisting going to church. Pray for us. Pray for our grandbabies. So thank you for having me. I appreciate that. I want to specifically thank Pastor Rackett because I know him, and he does not let anyone. Uh, come and stand before you and teach because he loves you so much. I was a recipient of that love, so I know. Yeah. Uh, I know that you all know me as a jokester. We had a lot of fun at the marriage retreat, didn't we? Thank you again, Hope. And, and I get silly, you know. I, it's one of my ways of expressing love, you know. I try to make you laugh. But... Um, I just wanted to make this clear that when it comes to the word of God, I'm very serious. So don't let my weekend define me for you because it's the word of God and, and my passion and I love it. And, uh, and I'm very serious about it. So I'm not playing with y'all. <laughs> All right. The title of, of this sermon is... Getting ready for Onesimus, and then on my way, oh, no, this morning getting out of the shower, God said, add this. It's the family business. So if you have a pen and you're writing, you're taking notes, right up under uh, Onesimus, I'm going to explain that too in a second, right up under that, right, it's the family business. It's the family business. It's the family business for us to get ready for the Onesimuses that God is gonna bring into our lives, all right? And, 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 and I'm passionate about this because, um, you know, I have a few st statistics I'm gonna to read to you, but um, as I go to church and do church, I'm sorry, can no one hear me when I step away? Can everyone hear me if I step away? Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Liz. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay. So I'm very passionate about this um, because I've experienced uh, the, the diminishing numbers in the churches, especially African-American churches in the inner city. Um, churches are dying. Now, it's not about membership because my message is not about membership. Uh, membership is only a byproduct of being born again, right? I, I mean, you know, I don't want a church member that don't know the Lord, That's, you know. 
So, so I mean, that's a byproduct, but it's a byproduct. The reason why we're losing people is because we've neglected, really, the family business. The father's family business is souls. Now, either we're building the kingdom of God or we're building our own kingdoms. Our own little kingdoms that we build, you know, the houses, the degrees, the money, and those things that are important. They have their place. They do. However, sometimes, just like the Israelites of old, we neglect God's business. You remember Malachi? Right? Malachi, he's telling them, when he's telling them, look, he's telling them, he's saying, your houses, you have paneled houses. Meaning, like, you, you know, you had top-of-the-line rehabilitators come in and do your house. The top contractors. And God said, well, look at my house. So this is what I'm going to do, he told him. He said, you know what? That stuff you're storing up in the barns is not going to be enough. I'm going to fix it so that you'll never have enough. The money you put in your pocket, you're going to think it's just, you know, you got holes in your pocket. Right? He said, because you neglected the family business. That's really taking care of the things of God have to come first for us. That has to be the reason, watch this, why we get up in the morning. And so in this passage, in Philemon, we're going to read, read some of it in a second. In Philemon, we see Paul's most personal letter. And when you think of the great apostle, you, you think of things like, well, you know, he was ministering to people in Caesar's household. Book of Philippians, right? People in Caesar's household got saved, right? When we think, I mean, this is a great, the great apostle, you know? He checked Peter. He put Peter in check, right? It's a great man of God. When we think about him and all that he's done, we know that his top purpose, his reason for living was the gospel, to preach and share the gospel. So, a couple of things, because I know y'all, I, I, I don't, I want you to take me seriously. So, I wanted to say also to Pastor Rackett that he is highly, uh, he is a great influence. I have a lot of different influences. Uh, when God makes his preachers, um, he uses other preachers, right, to influence them. And so, Pastor Rackett is a great influence on me. So, if you hear me say the word beloved to you, I'm not trying to be funny, it's something that I use when I preach all the time because you are the object of my love and you're the object of God's love. So you'll hear that. So I just want to warn you, I'm not playing around. Or if you hear me say something like, this is a snapshot, right? It sounds like pastor. It's because he's influenced me that way. And I'm not trying to mock him or be funny. I just want to say that, okay? Okay, so let's read. A little from Philemon. I'm going to be in the whole chapter, but I'm only going to read a few verses that I think are necessary, um, just so that you can get a taste of it. Starting with, I want to say, verse 10. Paul says, 
I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And that's where I got the term Onesimus, M-E-S-S, and I might just call him Mess. Uh, I got that term because Paul says formerly he was useless to you. And then he says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my, during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for your word. Uh, Lord God, you are free to edit this sermon uh, whichever way you choose. Uh, I am dependent on you. Speak through me. Change our lives. Change our aspect on how we uh, look at the family business. I thank you and I praise you for what you're going to do. Great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. And you see that Pastor Rackett has influenced my prayers as well. So I'm going to read some, I better hold on to this. I'm going to read some st statistics to you about um, Christians and sharing their faith. Y'all ready? 93% of practicing Christians aren't comfortable to have a conversation about the Lord with their own grandchildren. 93%. Uh, this is a, the Barna group took this, did this research. Uh, and it comes from two, the year 2018. Hmm. 70% of those attending church one or more times per month never share their faith with a stranger. That is from the State of American Theology Lifeway Research, also 2018. And then 51% of U.S. churchgoers say they have never heard of the term the Great Commission. I would guess that they were probably not born again. He said churchgoers. Also from the State of American Theology. And then the final one that I have, I didn't want to drown you with all these statistics. There's a bunch of them. But the final one that I think is important is 75% of regular church attendees do not believe that sharing their faith is important. Isn't that sad? It's the family business. It's the family business. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? It's something very important. It's a crisis. You know why? Because, because 
if, if churches are going out of the uh, community, if a church closes, there's, out of, there's a lot of other stuff that's lost. First of all, th that church was probably the light in the community. That people, even if they weren't going, if you ask people, they like the fact that they know that they have a church in their community. Right? They do. Even though they ain't going. Just ask them. Yeah. They notice when the church closes. You know, because they used to come get food there. Seeds were being planted there. And watered. Right? They knew where they could come. Even if they were conning us, right? They knew that they could come to us. And that's good. But it won't happen if we are not doing what the Father has called us to do. What our Lord said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go, share the gospel. Right? Well, I love Philemon. It is rich. Right? And there are some illustrations there that are so vivid that I actually, it's, it's a great temptation. I was like, the Lord's like, you can't tell them everything. They be there all day. Right? I can't tell you everything, but it is rich with treasure. And we're going to take a look at it. We're going to take a look at it. So, having said that, I want to say to you that um, most of us here are not Billy Graham. Most of us are not going to be booking a stadium in L.A. And thousands of people are going to come to faith when we preach the word of God. That's just, for most of us, we can say that's not really a reality. Yeah. I know it's not for me. Anyway, I can't see it. All things are possible with God, though. But most of us, when we're witnessing, is usually on a one-on-one -on -one basis, right? And Paul is going to give us a glimpse of what that looks like. Now, like most scripture, when we're looking at, when we're looking at the description of something, it's, it's a, or even prescriptive uh, scriptures, it's, it's a slice of reality, which means that, that it may not happen that way for you. It happened that way for Paul. It may not happen that way for you or for me. But the principles are the same. And that's what we're going to look at. The principles and the applications from Paul's heart as we be refreshed about the family business. And so the first thing I want to bring to your attention is this. I want you to look at verse 4. We're going to look at verse 4 through 7 real quick. If this sermon, if this sermon or if this, if this passage were, were food, if it was a sandwich, I like, I like to say at home, a sandwich, I'm going to make me a sandwich. If I'm going to make you a sandwich, what I'm about to read to you now is the first slice of bread. Okay, Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Um, it has to start with prayer. It has to stop, start with prayer. Because right here, and I'm going to read it read a little bit more. Paul is praying. Here's your, here's your first point. Paul is praying evangelistically. 
He's praying evangelistically. So, right, so it's the family business, right? It's souls. We ought to be praying, right? Because this is one of those prayers that's the exact perfect will of God. We know that God sent his son to die to save the world, right? And so when we're praying evangelistically, we're agreeing with him. That's the prayer that he's going to answer. We're not guessing. We ain't even waiting. He won't even wait. He'll hurry up and answer that prayer. If you pray evangelistically, that's where you have to be on the same page with the CEO of the company. You have to be on the same page with him. Listen to what Paul says. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Watch this. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That's praying evangelistically. Say, I'm praying that, that he's Philemon, I'm praying that the sharing of your faith be effective. Right? So I'm praying that the sharing of Dave's faith and, and uh, um, who else stands out there with you? Pete. Pete's faith. When they're out there, I'm praying, I should be praying, the churches should be praying that their sharing of the faith be effective. You have to pray evangelistically. Right? And I'm going to tell you something else prayer does. Prayer creates hope. It creates hope. Let me give you a window to look through. Let's say you're in a, you're in a bind financially, right? You're in a bond, and, uh, and you have this, this daddy that loves you. He's rich, and he loves you. And you say, Dad, I'm in a bind. I don't, I, I don't like to ask you, you know, I know you want me to be my own man or my own woman. I don't like to ask you, but I need some money. Now, you just petitioned your daddy, right, for some money. You know what that's going to do? It's going to make, he's going to square cash it to you. He's going to zell it to you. Guess what? After 15 minutes, guess what you're going to do? Look at your phone. Heck, I ain't heard that ding. I ain't heard that cash sound yet. That the, that the, that the you know, that, dang, that was 15 minutes ago. 30 minutes, you calling them. Dad, uh, did you do it right? Right? Prayer creates expectation and hope. So when you pray evangelistically, it causes you to look for the souls that God is going to bring. That's what prayer does. Right? That's why it's so important. It's the first slice of bread in your sandwich. It's prayer. Praying specifically, evangelistically, because what? It's the family business. It's the family business. Right. So that brings me to, so we, 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 we established that Paul had prayed evangelistically. Um, and that's going to bring me to, um, and I said hope, right, and expectation. So, so what's going to happen when that, when that happens is it causes you to be sensitive, right, to God. Like you're looking for Onesimus. You're looking for him. You're listening at your coworker when your coworker says when your coworker starts talking about her pain of losing her husband and how she and, and just how she she's barely functioning. Look, watch this. Your mind should go ding ding. 
your heart should go ding, ding. There's a mess that God has sent me. There's a mess that God, look, watch this. Don't, be, don't start talking about how you're so tired of listening to her talk about that he died 10 years ago. No, 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 no. You, you're looking at God is answering your prayer. Your evangelistic prayer. That's what he's doing. And that's how you have to see it. Oh, Father, I see it. Oh, Father, I hear it. And watch this. And he's the one. He's the one that, that, that caused you to hear it. That caused you to see it. Whether you went to them or they came to you. There's a crisis that they'll be going through. Right? But you have to recognize God, this is Paul doing, this is my next point. He's recognizing God's sovereignty in the whole thing. You recognize God's sovereignty. If you don't, they're going to be a nuisance. They're going to be a pain, you know what? And you're going to get tired of hearing it. But if you have the procession, Pastor always talks about the, the, the paradigm shift. If you do that paradigm shift and you look at it from this angle, You'll be like, wow, God is answering my prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to do it that way. The young lady in Sunday school, she was talking, um, what'd you say your name was? Janai? Janae? Janae. And she talked about how she, how she was witnessing and how she, she was determined to just hang with those people. She's telling them, but they're not responding, but she's, she's not going to give up on them. That's the kind of heart. That's, look, watch, that's the heart for the Sam family business. That's the heart for the family business. Yeah, yeah. Look, watch this. I was y'all's Onesimus when I first came around. I was Pastor Rackett's mess. I sure was. Fresh out of the penitentiary, thought I'd do everything. You know, I did. And the tyranny of the urgent, that was me. That was me all the time. And Pastor was just so calm and so cool, you know. It was me, though. It wasn't that he wasn't doing the family business. It wasn't that he was not participating, that he didn't have that concept down pat. He did. It's just that I, had, I needed some more whooping. I needed some more whipping. But I was the mess. And, and it's to the glory of God, right, that now him, not me, right, has made me useful. Now, now, now I'm Onesimus and not Onesimus. Right? And that's the family business. Lord, bring me the Onesimuses. They could be our kids. Our grandkids, our co-workers, whoever, be attentive. Recognize God's sovereign hand. Right? Recognize his sovereign hand. But not only do you pray evangelistically, and not only do you recognize God's sovereignty, you need to recognize, and I need to recognize, Onesimus when we see him. Right? We need to, he's going to have some characteristics. So let me tell you about Onesimus. Most scholars will say, New Testament scholars actually have a friend, a very good friend that's a, 
New Testament scholar. He's over the uh, program, um, PhD program at Wheaton. He's a good friend of mine. And uh, I actually called him. I was going to ask him a question about this, but I ended up researching it anyway. But, um, but yeah, most New Testament scholars will agree that Onesimus was a runaway slave. He ran away, right? Watch this. For, you, for those of you who have children at home and they're not responding to your call, or, I mean, they're grown or whatever, and they're not responding, uh, maybe living in your basement or whatever it might be, and they're not responding to the gospel, they don't want to come to church, and this, that, and the other. Understand this, that Onesimus was, was, was owned by the pastor at the church at Colossae. That when Philemon took, when he took this letter, he had this letter, he had the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Laodicea that was lost. And so he had these letters. He's delivering his own letter. And I'm sure Paul had been talking to him about it. But he's delivering his own letter. And, um, and so um, even before that, I jumped ahead. But he's a runaway slave. Scholars say that he stole something from Philemon. And he runs to Rome, you know why? To hide. Because Rome had millions of people living and working there. It was very busy. And he thought he could hide. How many know you can't hide from God? Right. Watch this, watch this. This is how you know God's sovereign hand. It's like, like really, Philemon, Paul, Paul is probably going, you know Philemon? Yeah, he's my owner, you know, and this, that, and other. Wait a minute, Philemon is my son in the faith. He's my son in the faith, right? And he probably said, you, ooh, this is God. Oh, yeah, that's right. I prayed about this. This is God. This is not a coincidence that he's sending me Onesimus, right? And, and, and his life was a crisis. His life was a mess because in Rome, if you ran away, all kind of bad stuff could happen. All kind of bad stuff could happen, Right? One of the things they used to do, they found out that you were a fugitive. They would, in Latin or, and or Greek, um, they would write the English equivalent to F-U-G on your forehead. They, not write it, just brand it. So you would walk around, everybody knew you were a fugitive. And that you were either going, your, destin, your destiny is death. Eventually, yeah, we're going to send you to the Colosseum. You're going to die there. You should have stayed with your master. So this is the kind of stress he's under. Yeah. Right? But watch this. Recognizing your Onesimus, this is what you got to recognize about him. They're going to be stressed out. He's going to have a, or she's going to have a crisis in their lives. They're going to be very distressed. And that's how you'll recognize you know, it's going to be urgent. I need you to help me right now. Right? That's your Onesimus. That's how you recognize him. Mm. But that's not all. That's not all. Um, that's not all that they have going on. Um, but that's a major thing. And that's how you find out. They're on the run. Watch this. They're running away. And you'll be able to tell. And you can tell them, dude, you're just running away from God. What? You had a, ch look, your parents, they'll tell you, my parents was Christians. But the parents 
couldn't get them to go to church. And, and, and just for your encouragement, and I'm one of them that with the grandkids, can't get them to go to church, right? The thing was so encouraging about this is that Onesimus leaves church and runs into Paul. And just because your kids don't go to church with you now or not listen now doesn't mean that it's over. Pray evangelistically for them. It's probably going to be somebody else, not you. I've heard Pastor mention over the marriage retreat, he mentioned Billy Graham and his kids and Ruth. Billy, didn't, Billy could preach and 20,000 people come to Christ, and his kids were not doing it. But this is hopeful, right? Because Onesimus, watch this. Paul tells them when in his greeting, he says, grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, he says to them, he says, um, he says, um, oh, in the greeting, when he starts talking about to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, to his wife, Athea, our sister, to his son, by the way, uh, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church at your house. So Onesimus was at church. He was living at church, right? Didn't get it. Went to Rome, hiding for his life, and runs into Paul, <laughs> the great apostle. Watch this. And you're never too big. Watch, I don't care if you preach to the Queen of England. You shared your faith with the CEO at your company. And whatever it might be, you're never too big for the least of these. So he's, look, watch this. Paul witnessed in Caesar's household the equivalent to um, uh, the Navy SEALs, the Praetorium Guard. He is witnessing to them. And the guy that he was chained up to, he didn't have a chance. Right? He didn't have a chance. But Paul had time for the scared, scared, stressed out mess. He had time. That's his heart. That's his heart. That's the kind of heart we have to have. The kind of heart we have to have. And so we, we pray. We recognize God's sovereignty. We, we, we recognize Onesimus when he comes. Because sometimes... We can miss the Onesimus. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something. Um, one of the ministries God uh, had given to me so graciously was the ministry of reentry. Reentry means when people are coming home from, from prison. And so um, the, Depart the Illinois Department of Corrections has a directory that they give to them two weeks before they get released. And in it is a bunch of resources. One of those resources to help you re-enter society and transition is what's called the ship's re-entry with Pastor Nate Johnson. And they have my cell phone number. So God had be, was giving me Onesimus. And this is what I was doing. I look at him like a fisherman looks at a fish that's too small. And I'd find, or that could be it, or it could be something else, but I would find imperfections that were difficult, and I would throw them back in the water. You know, the fisherman that catch the fish, and he throws them back. This one's too small. This one was too ugly. This one was whatever the reason. I don't eat that, right? And I was throwing the fish back in because, you know, he lied to me about this. 
And it, that's what they do. That's what they do. And so perhaps, and you can think about it, you probably had some Onesimuses in your life, right? And you threw them back in the water when it got difficult. When it got difficult. We cannot do that. We cannot do that because, watch this, because they're there by God's sovereign direction. They're there. And he wants to trust us with his Onesimuses. Right? He's given us, watch it, his currency for, his, for the family business. He's given it to us. He's expecting Onesimus at the end of it all. That's what he's expecting. So we have to re- recognize Recognize the Onesimuses so we won't throw them back. Watch this. Their imperfections, and I stole this from John, Levin, John Legend. Forgive me, Pastor. Their imperfections are perfect. You know when he sings that song about his wife? Because he says all her perfect imperfections. In God's hands, what we see as imperfections are perfect in his hands. Now, apart from his hands, they're not. But in his hands, our imperfections become perfect imperfections. I'm going to give you an, uh, 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 an illustration. I was thinking about my mama, Laverne, over here. Um, and uh, she's, a, I think Miss Wright, too, maybe more people. She's a quilter. She's a person that does quilts. And, um, and I didn't get a chance to ask her. But what I wanted to ask her was, um, does every piece of thread or every patch have a story? And I'm sure she'd say, yeah, I got this. The story is I've searched all over for this. And I finally found it. And, and look, watch this. Apart from the quilt, that piece of thread and that, and that patch is useless. But when you put it with the quilt, right, whatever you thought was imperfected, you can see now say, oh, that was a perfect imperfection. And that's how God does with lives. In his hands, right? In his hands. Perfect imperfections in his hands. Yes, that's what they are. And that's how we have to look at them, right? One of the things I want to point out, I told you in the beginning that this is Paul's most personal letter. He says things like, hold on, in verse 10 again, I appeal to you for my child, look at that, for my child, Onesimus. Wow. You know what that tells you? He spent some time with him. Yeah, he invested time in them. Thank you, Harry. Yeah, he goes on to say, when I'm sending him back to you, I'm sending my very heart. Now, he's showing us the emotions we should have towards our Nessimuses. Right? The value we should place on them. He's my child. He, he considered it a privilege that God would send Onesimus to him. The question is, is do you, do I, See that it's a privilege. Right? He says, my very heart. 
I'm sending to you. Watch this. So Philemon, Philemon can't get it twisted. I want you to get it twisted. Right? I know you rich and you own slaves and this, that, but I don't want you to get it twisted. This is my very heart. Be careful how you treat him. Be careful. And that's how we have, that's, that's the heart we have to have. Right? It's like, you know, someone telling you, you know, man, you, you didn't done enough for dude. You didn't done, you didn't done enough for him. When you gonna cut it off? I can't cut it off. God's placed them in my life. It's like telling God, I don't want, you know what, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. Um, this is what I think I should do. He ain't do me like that. He never gave up on me. Never. And I will never give up on any Onesimuses again. Again. Never. Never. And so his very heart, Paul says, I'm sending him to you. Couple things. I want to go to my final point, but then I don't. Um, give me a second. Um, We talked about prayer. We talked about recognizing God's sovereignty. We talked about recognizing Onesimus. We even talked about Paul spending time with him and how he becomes Paul's very heart. And my final, and I think most uh, illuminating point here is this, is that we have to recognize the double entendre. So what is he talking about? Double entendre. Some of you here are teachers and stuff, and I know you know what that means. A double entendre is a double meaning. It means when something has two realities. When something has two realities, right? You have the reality of what's actually taking place, and then you have the reality of what God is doing at the same time. Um, so we know what God is doing because there's a verb in the first few, um, no, in verse 15 that I want to tell you about that actually tells you that God is doing something. So it says, for this perhaps is, and he's recognizing God's sovereignty when he says this, for this is perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. I'm talking about Anessa. That verb was parted. It's in the passive voice. It's not something that Onesimus did. It was something that was done to him. He is the, he is the subject of that phrase. He was parted from you. And it's also in what's called the aorist tense, which means, which means that God did it already in the past with continuing action. Okay, so, so, so what is he saying by using that? He's saying this, that, that Onesimus 
was parted from you, Philemon. You didn't do it. He stole some stuff and ran away from you, right? He was parted uh, from you by God himself. Why? Because it's in the passive voice. Onesimus didn't do it. Philemon didn't do it. Paul didn't part him. God did. God did. So God has already done it. So I just wanted to bring that up because I kind of skipped it. But I wanted you to see that this is something that God actually was doing. Right? Okay. So I want you to see that. And so back to the double entendre. So Paul, I believe, recognized that, hey, this is an opportunity for a double entendre. What are you talking about, Reverend? Y'all can say that. What you talking about, Reverend? All right. I'm glad you asked that question. All right. I'm going to show you some things. Go to um, verse 17. It says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. What is that? So, when God the Father looks at us, who does he see? His son. And Jesus is in fact saying, if you look at the, the priestly, high priestly prayer in John 17, he's, saying to, he's talking that kind of language. You know, receive them as you would receive me. Now watch, Paul is saying this, but it's a double entendre. Right? He's saying that but at the same time, that's what the gospel says. You see what I'm saying? The gospel, it's two realities there. Watch this. Here's the other one. Very powerful. This one is even more powerful. He says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now watch this. Watch this. Onesimus owed a debt that he could not pay. Paul paid a debt that he did not owe. That's the gospel. Watch this. Paul's life was a double entendre. Right? His life, yeah, he preached the gospel all the time, but his life preached it. He didn't even have to use words. I think that's what St. Francis of Assisi, he may have been looking at Philemon when he said said that preach the gospel wherever you go and use words if you have to. His life, watch this. If God is your daddy, you need to look like him. If you ain't looking like him, you need to find out who your daddy is. Right? Your life. God is meant for your life. God is so awesome. He's meant for your life to preach the gospel. Watch this. The family business is so important that he wants your life to preach the gospel. Your very life to preach it. And the question is, the question is this. Can God use you and me as a double entendre? Last night at the marriage retreat, there was a young lady singing. She sings secular music. I don't know her background. She revealed something. She revealed that she had been hurt by the church. Right? And so I was like, ding, Onesimus. 
I was like, ding, this is a mess, Lord. You love messes. You love to take what's messed up and the world is thrown away and hurt and damaged and all of that. You love to take it and make something out of it and say, look what I did. Look what I did. And I say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, her Kleenex in her hand is really, really small. She's steadily wiping. It's hiding here. She's sweating. Go get her a couple of napkins. That's why I did it. I did it because she was Onesimus. I gave her water because she was Onesimus. And I wanted her, and then I apologized to her after it was all over. I said, let me apologize to you for whatever church hurt you. God loves you. God loves you. You are gifted. He has a plan for your life. Right? I, I, I don't know if I ever see her again, but I, want, I could not let her leave without planning that into her. Could not let her leave. We talked about the family business. We talked about, um, we talked about prayer. We talked about recognizing God's sovereignty, recognizing Onesimus. We looked at Paul's uh, heart in reg regards to this, and we looked at the fact that Paul recognized that he was a double entendre, right? It's like, this is a double meaning. Wow. Wow, when I tell him I'm repay this, I'm doing what Jesus did. I'm living it. See, watch this. That way it's not hard to believe. He even says, he says, I'm his father. He, I became his father in my imprisonment. Watch this. It's easy for me to tell you that God is your father if I become your father. I'm telling you, watch this. God wants you, but I, can, I, I need to treat you like, like I'm your father too. I need to live it for God. Just in case you, he don't get it when I'm talking to him. Let me show him what, what fatherhood, the fatherhood of God looks like. Let me show it to him. Right? It makes it easier for them. You telling them God loves them, but you ain't loving them. They ain't, you know, you got to love them. And watch this. And I'm not saying all grace, no truth. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all, because, because Paul, watch this, he did, not dis, he did not disregard consequences. What he did was he said, I'll pay them for you. That's what Christ did. Yeah, there's consequences. You owe. And watch this. I'm going to help fix it. Right? I'm going to pay it for you. Right? So there were consequences. Paul just decided to pay it. Right? I'm almost done. You've been very patient. Um, Laquan McDonald. Let me talk about him a little bit. So, um, during the trial, Jason Van Dyke's trial, I actually, I'm looking at TV, and I'm looking, and a couple of the uh, guards from the juvenile detention center where I work uh, had been subpoenaed to testify. And so when it was all said and done, I went to visit this guard because I wanted to ask him how, cause, because I started there in December and he was killed earlier. I started in December 2016 and he was killed before I got there, but he was a frequent visitor of the juvenile detention center. Those guards knew him, right? In and out all the time. His drug was PCP. 
And he'd be high off PCP, and his family was scared of him, and his neighbors were scared of him, and everybody would always call the police on him, right? My, my lead pastor at my church, he was preaching a sermon once, and he, he said, you know what? There was a time when black folk, we didn't call the police on our kids. We chastised them. I'm talking about it don't have to be your kid. We went outside and said, boy, what you doing with that? Put that down. What's wrong with you? You know your daddy don't want you. Oh, you know your mama. She had work working hard. You're supposed to be helping with the other kids. What you doing? Right? But the police keep getting called on Laquan McDonald and a bunch of scared folks. So guess what that does? It makes the police scared. It makes them scared. And my friend at the jail told me, he said he was a good kid. He would come in here high and we would let him sleep it off, and he was just one of the best kids. He really was. And they were really deeply hurt that he was, that he was murdered, right? I'm saying that to say, say this, and I'm gonna tie it in with this passage, and then I'm gonna wrap it up and we're done. I'm saying that to say that um, when Onesimus reached Rome, where Paul was, Paul's right there, he's staying in the police station. That's where he, he locked up right there in the police station, right? And you know what? Any ordinary person would have seen that as an opportunity to gain favor with Rome, right? Um, his, hey, dude, this guy, this guy that's going to show back up at 2 o'clock, he's, he's a runaway slave. And let Caesar know I th I'm the one that turned him in. You know, so I can gain favor. He didn't do that. And guess what we need to stop doing? We need to stop calling the police all the time. And look at those as opportunities. That's an SMS. It's an opportunity. Right? Now, I'm not saying you have to exercise wisdom. I'm not saying run outside and talk to somebody that has an Uzi in his hand. Uh, look, that old Brad got me shot. No, I did not get you shot. Exercise wisdom, right? Exercise wisdom. But the thing is, is that, that, that we need to start handling. It's, watch this. That's, a, that's a, a currency, right? That's currency that we're calling the police on. He has value. That's what we need to be telling him. That God has a plan for you. This is not it. I wish I would have got a chance to talk to him, but he was killed before I got there. But I do take seriously the children that are there, and I try to pour into them, me and all of my volunteers. So I just wanted to tell you that about, La about Laquan, and, 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 and I wanted to um, let you know this. Remember I said, you make a if I made this out of a sandwich, the first piece of bread, I want to give you I gave you all the meat, and I want to give you, well, some of the meat, but I want to give you the other piece of bread that, that you need to make this sandwich. And that piece of bread is this. If you look at verse 4 through 7 again, right, verse 5, he says, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. 
then uh, drop down. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Watch this. If for whatever reason you cannot continue to pour into your Onesimus' life, you need to pass him off to someone. You need to make sure that, the, that, 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 it actually, that you actually connect them with. Watch this. A person of good reputation. What did he say? He said, I have heard of your love and of your faith. Don't pass them off to anybody. Watch what that, what that says to the person, to the Onesimus, is that they have value. Like, wow, like, I know I can't stay here forever. It's time for you to go, but you're going to make sure that I land well. When I first got out of, when I was approaching being released from prison back in 2000, I had developed a relationship with uh, a man that used to come in and teach for Roosevelt University and Black Hawk College that was in the Quad Cities, because I was down in East Moline at that time. And um, we had developed this relationship. He was brilliant. He had just got his PhD from Oxford in historical theology. He had just you know, written his, uh, I forgot what you call it, thesis. thesis, right, that would become a book. And we got really, really close. And I would walk him to the gate uh, as, as close as I can get without getting shot <laughs> because I was a sponge and he just, you know, but he didn't just give me information. He loved me too because on that night, talking about Paul's heart, I, I know he gets it. This my friend's name. I call him Dr. G. Name is Dr. Douglas Grandin, but, um, and we're still friends to this day. But uh, he walked me to the gate the last night that he would see me after school. And we're walking, and he started praying for me, and he started crying. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. He said to me, he said, I've contacted a friend, Dr. James Ford of Christ Bible Church. That's what he said. This is how I ended up here. That's what he said. He says, I want to pass you off to him. And so when I got out the first Sunday, I'm on the bus on 79th Street, and I'm riding over. I'm on one side of the city, riding all the way over to the east side. And um, terrific sermon. I meet Pastor Ford, and uh, we acknowledge our mutual friend. And, um, and then Pastor Ford said, where are you coming from? And I told him, he said, you know what, there's a church closer, my mentor's church. Right? He says, he says, he says, I, wanna, I want you to, here's, here's their information, because it's not as far. Now, if you, I'm not going to stop you from coming here, but it's closer. And then, I, then, then I, I knew a little bit about Chicagoland because Kim was coming in, right? And you guys had been, been praying for me for years, right? Um, but anyway, he passed me off. That's the point I want to make. He passed me off into good and like I said before, I was the one that wasn't ready. But he passed me off into good hands. And that's the other slice of bread that makes your sandwich, right? That speaks volumes to the Onesimus. It spoke volumes to me, right? So remember this lesson. We have a family business. Yes, sir. 
and we've been neglecting it. Why? I got the statistics. And I see it with my own eyes. Right? We need to start looking for, praying for, and looking for our Onesimus. Recognizing God's sovereignty. Right? Don't throw the fish back because of imperfections. In God's hands, they're perfect imperfections. Right? And then we need to allow God to use our lives as a double entendre. That our lives, we have one reality, but our life is also speaking the gospel. And we can use words when we have to. That's all I got. Thank you. You've been very patient. <laughs>